Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, Episode 73, new SEO for Google, Audacity 2.0, new iPad, and mobile-friendly. Talking about podcasting news today. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Audacity to Podcast. I am Daniel J. Lewis, and this is a how-to podcast about podcasting and using Audacity. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please go over to theaudacitytopodcast.com and subscribe there. And the show notes for this episode will be at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 73. I have some podcasting news to share with you today because a lot of things have happened recently. Some Google stuff, Audacity, iPads, mobile things, and some upcoming stuff they will be sharing next week. So let's get into this. First, Google is the search engine that we probably all use on the web for finding whatever we're looking for. And it's, it's the top search engine. And they're changing the way that they index sites and pages. And this is a good thing. Google is constantly trying to improve their search algorithm so that it is more human-like. What would you as a human search for? What kind of terms? What would you expect? Things like in the past, they had this update where if your website was a very slow-running website, that it wouldn't show up very high in Google because... People who search for information don't want a slow-loading website. They want a fast-loading website. So when they type it in, they won't be interested in your site if it's slow. They'll love your site if it's fast. Google started prioritizing that. And they're changing things around again. And I ran across this great article from Portfolio.com. The article is titled, How to Prep Your SEO, that's Search Engine Optimization, for Google's new algorithm. And they give three steps in this. And I highly recommend that you read this actual article and how they explain this. I have the link to this in the show notes over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 73. The article shares these three tips. Number one, break from the old keyword mentality. Embrace synonyms. And this is great because not everyone is always searching for the exact same words. I did a series of podcast episodes a while back about how to live podcast your show. Now, live podcasting is technically not an accurate term because podcasting means downloading afterward via RSS. So that's not live. But live podcasting is what people search for. But I also used other words like live streaming live broadcasting, live radio, and other terms like that. So instead of just saying, oh, I want to be the top-ranking person for live podcasting, I should instead look at my content and look how I'm writing my show notes. Bloggers, this is for you too. But podcasters, how you're writing your show notes and your episode titles, don't try to always rank so high with a particular keyword or phrase, but think about these sentiments, things that are similar to the words for those phrases you're already looking for or using. Because your audience isn't going to always type the exact same words that you want. My audience isn't always going to type in live streaming podcast or 
live podcasting or anything like that. They will type in what they think of, and that might be different from what I write on my site, so they might not find me. So think instead of synonyms. Number two, build up your frequently asked questions page, or FAQ. Google is also making it more important that you have answers on your site and definitions of terms or of solutions. You could do this by having an FAQ page or or a resource page or an ask an expert page or anything like that where you have some short, simple information. Now, this can really help your visitors too. Again, Google is making this more human-like. Having an FAQ page, like I've been working on this for the Audacity podcast to have a resources or FAQ page, where it would be an overview of all kinds of things and linking back to content that I've already created, like past episodes, blog posts, or linking offsite to other things that I think are really helpful for people. Like if someone asks a popular question is, how do I get my podcast cover art to show up in iTunes? Well, I'll have a little thing for that and then links to other parts of my site. So it would be that kind of FAQ. That will help me rank better with this new Google algorithm is having those kinds of definitions and direct answers like that. And it will make you more authoritative on your topic as well. And step number three, don't sell, educate. And this is really uh, the thing that bugs me about sometimes when internet marketers have blogs is it almost feels like it's all about selling not about education but treat your website like like you want to communicate information if you are giving a presentation about a product there's that thing where people say sell 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 well yeah that's kind of true but what's more important is to educate people because you can sell someone something that they'll regret later Or you can educate them so that they know their options and know why they should buy your product so that when they buy your product, they are a lot more confident. And an educated audience will be a much more active and raving fan audience for you that they will be going out and saying, hey, I learned such and such over at this. And uh, so you can learn or teach that through your site. So don't just try and make your site selling, but make it educational. If you have a product, give more information about the product or how to use it or general tips. I've been working with a client that has a skincare product site, and she's worked with an SEO expert as well. And I like that on her site, she's got a lot of this content about just skincare, not like sell, sell, sell the product, but of helping people to understand how to take care of their skin care, of their skin. So then look over at the site, the audacitypodcast.com slash 73, and you can get the link to this article and read more about it. And take a look at your content. Hopefully you're writing great show notes too, but take a look at your content to see how can you employ these tactics to be able to be ready for the new Google algorithm. Second thing I want to talk to you about is Audacity 2.0 was released last week. And that is big because Audacity 
has been 1.2 for a while. And they've had the 1.3 beta since I think it was 2006 or 2005. And 1.3 beta was always intended to be the 2.0 version. I don't know why they didn't just call it 2.0 beta, but they they referred to it as 1.3. And they finally brought it to the point where they felt like it's good we're releasing this as 2.0. So it, 2.0 is now the recommended version by them. And I announced this on the blog as well, the day, uh, actually the morning after it was announced on their site, that Audacity 2.0 was released and encouraged everyone to upgrade. I upgraded too, and I started testing things. And I found a few problems that uh, make me not so sure you should upgrade to 2.0 yet. Three problems that I had. Two of these were completely repeatable. First problem was dragging multiple WAV files into Audacity 2.0 has consistently crashed it. I'm saying four or more WAV files. What I do, whenever I do the Once Podcast over at OnesPodcast.com where we talk about the Once Upon a Time TV show, I get all of my sound clips from the episode of this show, and I drag those into Audacity. I enhance those clips, adjust their volume, and compress them and all of that, cut them to where I need them to be, and then I export them. I do this all in a single Audacity project because it's just as easy to just repeat the compression settings instead of going back through and retyping it in and applying things globally. And It's much easier that way, but I found that When I would drag four or more, actually, I think it might have been five or more WAV files that I had recorded into Audacity, it would crash every time. So I had to do it three or four WAV files at a time. That was okay, but that it crashed like that could be terrible if you have a project you haven't saved yet. And then you decide to bring in some sound effects to place and you bring in several at a time, it might crash on you. Uh, That that was annoying. The other thing is in the same workflow that I was working with, where I have these multiple soundtracks, they're all aligned, they're all playing at the same time. What I would do is I would solo each one, edited it, and then select that track. Did I just say edited it? (laughs) Edit it. Select that track and then export the selection. So that way I'm not exporting everything all at the same time, but just that selection. What would happen is when I did this on the first track of all of my tracks, and I told it to overwrite a file that I already had, it would give me an error message that said nothing. I think it was just audacity. Yes or no? It, It didn't It didn't make sense. There was no message there for me to do anything or to report anything or decide anything. I assumed it was saying this file already exists. Do you want to overwrite it? So I would click yes or okay, I think was the button. And sometimes it would overwrite it. Sometimes it wouldn't. But if I did that with any track other than the first track, it would be fine. But that first track, and no matter what track was the first track, when it when I'm selecting and exporting that first track, it would give me this weird error message and not do anything. And then the last problem I've noticed is with some larger projects, like my once podcast tends to go 
uh, long, a bit longer than it should, but we frequently end up with an hour and a half recording. So I edit that down some, but I've noticed a little bit less stability on these large kinds of projects. I had a crash while I was working on that project, and I've never had Audacity crash before. Uh, Before Audacity 2.0, that's the thing. There are these two crashes. Now, the large project thing, I can't guarantee that's reproducible. Happened on me once. Didn't happen the next time I redid the same exact thing. So I don't know there. But I'm a little cautious about saying upgrade to 2.0. I might actually downgrade back to 1.3.14. But I would love to hear from you if you've tried Audacity 2.0. Please let me know how it's working for you. You can go to the audacitypodcast.com slash 73 and comment there on the show notes to let me know if Audacity has given you any problems or if it's working great. That's, that is the 2.0 version. Be sure you tell me what operating system you're on as well and what steps you did that made a problem if the problem shows up. So you can still check it out, though, over at audacity.sourceforge.net, or I'll have a link to that in the show notes over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 73. Also, last Friday, March 16th, was iPad Day. Apple launched the new iPad, and they just call it iPad. They're back to calling it that instead of the numbering system, iPad 1, iPad 2. I have a feeling we'll probably see this happen with iPhone as well. But it's it's good because then that way they're just saying, oh, I want iPad. Well, here's the one available, kind of. Anyway, the, the actual product I did buy, and it's my first iPad, actually my first tablet device, and I'm really enjoying this thing. But there are some things that I've been thinking about. What does the new iPad mean for podcasters? doesn't mean anything. And here's what's so different about the new iPad versus iPad 2, or even just iPad 1. The new iPad, third generation, has Retina Display. Now, Retina Display is not new. Apple introduced it in 2010 with the release of the iPhone 4 that was a high-resolution screen, and they called it Retina Display because the pixels were so small they couldn't be seen by the naked eye. And that's true. It's above 300 pixels per inch or PPI is invisible to the eye. The eye can't distinguish one pixel from another. And that's why if you ever work with print design, they say a file, an image in a print design must be at least 300 PPI. DPI is completely different. That's relating to print terms, really. That's how many dots per inch a printer makes to make those pixels. So dots, completely different. So iPhone 4 has been around since 2010. iPad third generation just came out last Friday, March 16th, and it has also retina display. Now, its retina display is intended to be held a little bit farther from your face. So it's not quite, I think it's 326 pixels per inch, but it's it's close. I think they said it's 274 pixels per inch. It's high. Basically, that's the point is that and that. Even when I look at it very, very closely, I can't really see pixels on it. And that's really cool. What does this mean for you as a podcaster? 
It means if you have podcast cover art that's 300 by 300, you really, really need to upgrade. Already, we've been saying the standard should be 600 by 600. That looks better. It works a lot better. And Apple accepts that to their store. But I've noticed that on this iPad, and this iPad is my first Apple mobile device. I've never had an iPhone, never had an iPod Touch, or first Apple mobile device running their operating system, iOS. So I'm seeing how this works in different ways. I have an Android smartphone and this iPad, and the iPad will, from my observation, when something is playing in the background and the the iPad is locked and then you come back and unlock it or just turn on the screen, there will be the album art or cover art for that media file displaying really big on the screen. The iPad's display resolution is 2048 by 1536. So imagine blowing up a 300 by 300 to 1536 by 1536. That's what your podcast cover art would look like on iPad. Blurry edges and such. 600 by 600, you're still going to get some blurry edges. I would really recommend you start thinking about doing podcast cover art at 1200 by 1200. And this is what I do. Actually, whenever I've designed podcast cover art for clients, I design it at 1200 by 1200. But I deliver it 600 by 600, or that's what I've done. But since raising my prices recently, I also wanted to raise what I gave, the value of what I gave, and made it make it more future-proof. So now I am delivering to new clients who are paying the new price of $250 for podcast cover art. I'm giving them 1200 by 1200 pixel podcast cover art. You might think, well, the iPad is 2048 by 1536. Shouldn't I do 2048 by 2048? That, I would say, could be overkill because keep in mind, the iPad might download this, but what about just those other little media players downloading this? They don't need 2048 by 2048. That's going to make your file bigger. The biggest I would suggest at this moment for podcast cover art is 1200 by 1200 by, thank you, might still be safe-ish with 600 by 600, but you could play around and see how 1200 by 1200 works for you. The the file size difference would be about double, but your podcast cover art, depending on how it's designed, would still be around 100 to 120 kilobytes. So it's adding that much more to your MP3 files when you tag it. That's not much, so it might be okay. But jumping up to even higher resolutions, meh. Now, I've been talking about all of this related to the iPad and iPhone, and I am not an Apple fanboy at all. I use a lot of Apple products, but I am not an Apple fanboy. I have an Android smartphone that I absolutely love. And Android has also been jumping on this high-resolution thing, and a lot of devices are. Android has had several phones come out in the last few months, like The Galaxy Nexus on Verizon is a high-resolution device. It's a 720p display. That's 1280 by 720 pixels on the screen. So it's a high-resolution device similar to the iPhone. The iPhone 4 is, I think it's 960 by 480, another high-resolution device, not quite 720p resolution, but high-resolution. It's a smaller screen. 
and Android tablets are also coming out at higher resolution displays using this what's kind of considered retina display technology. So make sure that your podcast cover art looks good on these devices. If you don't have one yourself, find someone who does and ask them, hey, can I just check this image on there? Or can I see what it looks like when you download my file and uh, see how that looks on your screen there? So I think we need to start thinking about higher resolution, higher quality cover art for our podcasts. And if you need someone to design cover art for you, I do that as a service. You can visit podcastcoverart.com to learn more about that and submit a request for me to design podcast cover art for you. But if you design it yourself, make sure that you're designing it at a larger resolution and maybe start publishing in that larger resolution, like 1200 by 1200. One other thing I've been doing with this iPad, and this is this is kind of exclusive what I'm going to tell you, is I use the app Soundboard on my Mac for my sound effects. So whenever I do my intro and outro or play any voicemails or anything like that, it's playing through Soundboard. Now, I've done that for a while on my Mac, and there are other programs you can do. If you're on Windows, Producer is free. If you're on Mac or Windows or Linux, there's Soundbite, which is ugly, but it's expensive too. And Soundboard was expensive, but I decided it was worth it for me. Soundboard on my Mac is a bit annoying to have to find it and press the button. But what I got for my iPad now is this app called Soundboard Remote that allows me to remote control the soundboard on my Mac. And it that soundboard on my Mac does not have to be the front window. It can be anywhere behind anything. And I just press a button on my Mac or my iPad and then it will play the soundboard right there from the computer. So the computer remains plugged in. The iPad doesn't have to be plugged in. I don't have to move things around or plug in my iPad. I could get a soundboard app for my iPad, but I decided I'd rather do this and manage things through the computer and then just control it through the iPad. I think that's really cool for me because then that means I don't have to switch around windows on my computer in order to find the soundboard. I just tap the button on my iPad. And that works great. But also thinking about iPad and a lot of iPads sold. And there are a lot of iPads out there, a lot of tablets, a lot of smartphones. And in fact, I'm going to add a poll to the website. So when you go to the audacitypodcast.com slash 73, the show notes for this episode, make sure that you look over on the right side or I'll also have this poll in the show notes for the audacitypodcast.com slash 73. I had a poll recently asking about what did you feel about the accents that people have in a podcast? Do you think the accent is unbearable to listen to? This was actually a two-week poll. I didn't get enough votes the first time around, so I want to make sure it got some more votes in. And the majority of people said that accents are not a problem for a podcaster, and they are not annoyed if the podcaster has an accent, only if it's a really deep, hard-to-understand accent. But most of the time, those people uh, that are native speakers, that's what I mean by accent, most of the time they're fine. So don't worry about it if you are natively a different language than the rest of us. The actual numbers were 63% out of 27 votes, 63% said, I don't think native accents are a problem. 
And then the the other option was yes, only if the accent was very thick is 33%. And the rest of them said, and only one person said yes, any native accent is distracting. Now for this week's poll, maybe a couple weeks, we'll see. I want to know, do you browse the web on a mobile device? And this could be, don't think about apps that you use on your phone that access information but from the web, but do you browse the web on your mobile device, whether you are sitting in the living room while you're watching TV, while you're uh, out waiting on the line? Do you browse the web itself on your mobile device? And I'd like to know what kind of device that is. So is it a tablet? Is it a smartphone? What kind of tablet or smartphone? And so take a moment to go over to the audacitypodcast.com slash 73 and vote in that poll because I'd like to see. The reason I bring this up is that mobile is a major, major development in web technology. And I'm a web designer, so I'm seeing this and I'm in this all the time. And it's really important for us to make sure that we are mobile friendly. You look at your website on an iPhone 4 where it's got a three and a half inch screen. And does your website look very good on a three and a half inch screen? Your website might look great, but you can't really read it on the three and a half inch screen. So there are different technologies to use for these things. But do start thinking about what can you do what tools or maybe even just simple plugins like WP Touch can you implement on your site so that you can be more mobile friendly? It doesn't apply so much on a tablet. However, if you are a podcaster, you have media files on your website. You need to make sure those media files are mobile friendly because Flash is dying on mobile, that is. Apple or yeah, Apple has already never ever allowed flash on their mobile devices there are some ways to work around that kind of but don't expect that for your your audience and adobe has even announced that on the android side where flash player has been around for a while they've announced that flash player would no longer be developed on android so flash on mobile is dead and flash is what powers most media players out there on websites so what you should be doing, make sure you use, you are using PowerPress with the HTML5 player options. But what this leaves out are two important things for podcasters who do live shows is the live streaming, video or audio, and the live chat room. So now that I have an iPad, I've been doing a lot more testing with this. And the reason I bought this is because I'm a designer web designer, freelance web designer for hire. If you'd like me to design your website for you, I'd be happy to. Commercial. The reason I bought this though is so that I can test these things, see how it actually functions on the real device. And I've learned a lot of amazing things about uh, developing websites within just the last few days based on problems I've found with this. And a couple of things I've found that if you do a live show, there are two, well, three services, live streaming services that work on mobile. There might be more, but these are the three major ones. Ustream.tv, and I was using that for a little while, like a couple days, but then decided to stop because they still interrupt your live content with ads, video ads, full screen video ads. I hate that. That is unacceptable. 
for for content that cannot pause and that doesn't know. Like if I knew there was an ad playing, I would just go ahead and pause. Or if I knew one was coming up, I would pause the show, let the ad play like a regular TV show. I wouldn't have a problem with that. If they told me, the producer, that an ad was coming up and I had to cut it off. But still, well, actually, I would have a problem with that because that's unnecessary for podcasters. So I've moved away from Ustream.tv. I'm back to try and live stream. Livestream.com does now work on mobile devices. And that's what I'm using right now on my live page is live stream. And it's working great for me. But I once had an issue with them over their appropriateness of ads on their site. And I'm, I'm hoping they fixed that since then. But Livestream does work, and I can load it up on Safari on my iPad, which, again, iPad does not have Flash, but it does load the live video on my iPad, which is great. That means people on mobile devices can watch live streams. Now, it is delayed. Both Ustream and Livestream were delayed more than the desktop version. Desktop version in my testing was delayed by about 15 seconds. Mobile version is delayed by 30 to 45, maybe even 60 seconds. So keep that in mind if you have a chat room. Now that's the other thing, chat rooms. I've been using Chatango for a while and really liked Chatango because it's free. It works really well and a lot of other people use it. So a lot of people who go to live podcasts have accounts with Chatango already and they can set up little pictures and stuff. It's cool. That doesn't work on mobile because it's powered by Flash. So what I've been experimenting with recently are uh, some different technology that I've mentioned in the past when I did my live streaming series. I'm using right now Cbox. That's from cbox.ws. It is $2 a month if you pay for three months. So it's, it's really not expensive at all. It has unlimited users and you can customize it, and it works on mobile for the most part. What I've found on my site is that the mobile chat room doesn't fit into the little window. It just completely it extends all the way down the page, which that's something I'm working on. Don't worry about that too much. But it is something to keep in mind. There are other systems out there that work much better, but they cost more, like chat roll and shout mix are both better, better, but they cost more and they have limits of how many people can be watching or participating live. And it uh, depends on how big your audience is, what you can afford there. When I'm looking at my podcast, Once Podcast, which is about once upon a time, I'm getting now almost 50 people in the chat room for each episode. So chat roll would end up being $20 or more per month for me. And I, I can't afford that yet. So I'm working with Cbox for now. So I mentioned Ustream and Livestream, our video and audio streaming services that do work on mobile. Also, Mixler has been around for a while and works on mobile too. Theirs is a bit different how it works on mobile, but it does work on mobile. So what you could do, if you use a service you're really happy with or maybe paying for a service, but you want to be able to work with mobile is use Mixler, incorporate it onto your live page and you can let people know, hey, if you've got a mobile device, you can listen live, but unfortunately not watch live. It's up to you how you work with these things. 
But this is stuff that I'm going through for the Audacity to Podcast and my other podcast websites is I really want to work on making them mobile friendly because I'm realizing a lot of people are browsing the web on their mobile devices. I've read some read some amazing statistics. Did you know smartphones are outselling laptop computers? More people are getting smartphones or mobile devices than are getting computers. So we need to be ready with that with websites and it can be technical and difficult to get these things ready, but the more popular solutions get, the more available they will be. Like WP Touch is a WordPress plugin. There's a free option and a paid option. It can make your website mobile friendly instantly. And so it's easier to read your content on mobile. It doesn't look as pretty as if you hired me to custom design it for you or hired someone or designed it yourself to be mobile friendly, but it does get the job done and it gets it done very, very, very easily. So think about these things. Now, also coming up, I want to tell you that in our next episode, I will be having, or actually I've already recorded this episode, but will air next week, will be my discussion with Rob Greenlee from Zune, the Zune Marketplace, Zune Podcast Directory. There was a news story that came out somewhere around the web, and someone had called in to me saying, maybe you don't need to keep telling your listeners to submit their podcast to the Zune Podcast Directory, because here's this news story that says that Microsoft has announced that Zune Marketplace would no longer be a part of the the services that they incorporate into like Windows Phone and other things. Well, that's not true. I talked to Rob Greenlee, and this is in our episode. And so we've got a great conversation. That'll be next week. Then soon after that, I will be having Gordon Firemark on for several episodes talking about trademark and copyright law, privacy policies, release forms, and more for podcasters. And these will be several episodes. So please send me your questions that you have for Gordon Firemark. He is an attorney and podcaster himself. So he can explain these things like stuff like, do you need a privacy policy? What should it say? Uh, What if you have a guest on your podcast? Do you need to get their permission or What about these terms of service you read when you submit your podcast to different places? Should you should you trademark your podcast title, or what about these copyrighted songs? Is it okay to use it if you don't make any money from your podcast? Who does? (laughs) But all of these and more might be questions you have, and please send me your questions, your examples, anything that you'd like to come up in the conversation with Gordon Firemark. I don't know exactly when we'll record that, but I'll try to do it live so that way we can get an audience who can ask some questions too. But for all of that, watch over at theaudacitytopodcast.com and please send me your feedback that you would like for Gordon to answer as well as stuff that you'd like me to answer in the podcast. Email feedback at theaudacitytopodcast.com or call... 903-231-2221. And you can also go to the com and click the send a voice message tab. And that's courtesy of SpeakPipe. Great service, by the way. I blogged about them at the com slash SpeakPipe. And you can get the show notes for this episode over at the com slash 73. Please follow me on Twitter 
facebook.com slash the ramen noodle t-h-e-r-a-m-e-n-n-o-o-d-l-e and let me know if you have any web design needs podcast cover art needs or anything that i can help you do uh, through my business that will help you succeed as a podcaster blogger business person whatever now that i've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools it's time for you to go podcast with passion organization and dialogue and vote in the poll over at the audacity to podcast.com slash 73 and let me know do you use the web on your mobile device i'm daniel j lewis thank you for listening The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our podcasts like Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, How to Podcast, well, that's this one, and more over at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. And you have got to check out all of the awesome tech podcasts over at techpodcasts.com. There are video podcasts, audio podcasts covering all kinds of technology. Check it out at techpodcast.com.